0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wrestling vs. World Podcast. If you're enjoying your day, sweet, if not, what the hell ever. It is time for episode 162 of the podcast. And it's time to discuss a subject matter that I know a lot of people are not fond of. Triple H's reign of terror. Ugh. So, this whole period lasting nearly three years where Triple H was the top guy on Raw. And it's time to go over all these feuds and the issues that happen along the way with each and every just about every view that happened during all this. So on the August 26, 2002 episode of Raw, Triple H defeated The Undertaker to become the number one contender to Brock Lesnar's WWE Championship, then being the undisputed WWE Championship. However, it was announced immediately afterwards that Brock had signed a SmackDown exclusive deal, so he was taking the WWE Championship with him, and as a result, Triple H was the number one contender of a championship that he couldn't go after due to the brand split. So the next week, we saw on the September 2nd, 2002 edition of Raw, Eric Bischoff gave the World Heavyweight Championship to Triple H and christened him as the new World Heavyweight Champion starting the Reign of Terror. So Triple H went through a lot of opponents opponents during this three year period and it's time to go over these in the best order that I can being chronological. So opponent number one Essentially, I'm going to go through like a pay- by pay-per-view basis rather than random ones that you saw on Raw's. Maybe I'll bring up some mention there. Uh, Rob Van Dam for Unforgiven. So, RV would win a Fatal 4-Way Elimination match the week after Triple H became champion to become number one contender at Unforgiven. And Triple H, after this, would cause Rob Van Dam the Intercontinental Championship in a title defense against Chris Jericho. And at one point, it was Intercontinental Champion going against World Heavyweight Champion. But, of course, we know that changed. Now this match, this was a match where they really kind of booked themselves into a corner. You can't have Triple H lose this newly brought up World Championship on WWE's main roster. But at the same time, you don't want to make RVD look weak because he was white hot during 2002, like holy cow. So, I understand why they went with the finish that they did. For where Ric Flair had been getting spoken down to by Triple H backstage, only to then re- reveal that they're aligned together gets in the ring hits rvd in the stomach with the sledgehammer to help triple h win so it took interference for triple h to beat rvd but i mean again it was one of those cases where you're damned if you change the title but damned if you don't because like i said of the circumstances you mess up a world heavyweight championship by having it change hands that fast or you try to do something with the guy who's white hot throughout the year now after the and of course RVD would get his revenge by facing Ric Flair the next month at No Mercy, so something came of that, and I'll talk a bit more about RVD in just a little bit, but then you get the second opponent casualty here, Kane, No Mercy, yeah, you know what I'm going to talk about, the whole Katie Vick thing, so initially this was just supposed to be announcing, hey, in the lead to No Mercy, whoever the Intercontinental Champion is will face Triple H No Mercy to unify both the Intercontinental and the World Heavyweight Championships for the pay-per-view so Kane defeated Chris Jericho so it was gonna be Kane versus Triple H both titles on the line but then we got the addition that I wish we could all forget Katie Vick so Triple H revealed that trip that Kane had a girlfriend named Katie Vick who accidentally killed in a car accident and later implied that he raped her well I don't know if you can really say rape because being deceased but still I guess you could say violated her deceased body because they found semen on her. Which, this whole story contradicted Kane's past because it said 10 years prior was when this all happened, so that was 92. But yeah, we kept getting told by Paul Bearer that for years and everything, since the fire that happened in Kane's childhood, he was basically a shut-in and going through like the whole mental problems and everything and the burns and all that stuff, so it contradicts Kane's story and everything like that. And we also gotta remember there was the reenactment that happened at the funeral home of Triple H being like, Ugh, I screwed your brains out, uh, in the funeral. I've seen that segment once, thanks to Brothers of Destruction 22 uploading it on YouTube, and I never want to watch it again because it was just that bad. And Kane lost, and no mercy. So Triple H said all this stuff and essentially got away with it at the end of the day. Yeah, Kane got some retribution by beating Triple H in a casket match on Raw, but... Still, this whole feud did not do him any favors whatsoever, combined with the loss. Now you get to the next opponent, Shawn Michaels. So Shawn was getting revenge because during the summer, Triple H had turned on Shawn Michaels, feigning a DX reunion. They've had the match at SummerSlam, which was Shawn's first match in WWE since 1998, when he had the go away due to his back injury. Fantastic match, unbelievable then Triple H post-match took him out with two sledgehammer shots to the back, so we thought Shawn Michaels was gone for good, but then Shawn comes back and we get the Elimination Chamber match at Survivor Series. Triple H defending the championship against Robin Dam, Kane, Booker T, Chris Jericho, and Shawn Michaels in his round tights. This was also the match infamously where RVD accidentally drove his knee into Triple H's throat because of a botched 5 star frog splash which ended his push as a result after this. But Shawn Michaels would come out on top and would be the new world heavyweight champion by champion by last eliminating Triple H. And Triple H was lucky that he made it out of this whole thing alive because crushed larynx and all that stuff, so had to get carted away for a while. And Triple H would regain his championship in three stages of hell match from Shawn Michaels and Armageddon. This would not be the end of their feud, but there would be at least the end for the time being. Also, I guess a side note as well during all this. They were trying to push Bubba Ray Dudley during all this, but there was some kind of botched incident where Bubba Ray tried to powerbomb him through a table, or powerbomb Triple H through a table, didn't land properly, and I think according to Bubba Ray, he said in an interview, it was that moment where management's like, yeah, we can't push this guy. We're gonna ease up on him. So, yeah, a little mishap. Even though it was in the ring and Triple H seemed fine, it's like, yeah, we're not gonna push you. Now you get to one of the biggest casualties of all time. Scott Steiner. And after I mentioned Steiner, I'm gonna backtrack just a bit to bring up RVD and Kane again. But I want to get to Steiner because of how bad this was. So, Steiner, he's back in WWE for the first time since, I believe, 93 or 94. And he chose to sign with Raw, and was promised a world title match at the Royal Rumble as a result, like as a sign-on bonus. They had the match at the Royal Rumble, and it was one of the worst matches I've ever seen. It's just Steiner being tired? Botching some moves due to foot, dropped foot syndrome and just repeating over, like belly-to-belly suplexes over and over and over and then you had the god-awful finish where Triple H got disqualified by using the sledgehammer and the referee Earl Habner. Then you had the rematch as well and no way out, wasn't much better, and Triple H retained again. And the only thing you can remember from the build was that because Triple H was on like Flex magazine or whatever magazine it was he was doing like posing everything, they did those pose down segments to build a world championship feud at a, like, Royal Rumble. Like, and I know people are going to say, hey, probably try to say, hey, they did the same thing for Ultimate Warrior Rick Rude back in 89, I believe it was, around somewhere in there. But it's like, that was a mid-card feud. You know, and that was back when wrestling was more simple and, like, everything hadn't been redone or recycled. But this was the build for a world, like, a world championship feud. Oh, we gotta care about the physiques, that's gonna get somebody over him as a viable and believable number one contender for a world championship here on WWE. That was just horrible. So now, to quickly look back at the opponents so far before we continue. RVD, after all this, he wouldn't become world champion until 2006. So, cause like, after this, he would start to either be stuck in the mid-card or he's teaming with Kane and Rey Mysterio and Booker T, so he didn't get to do a whole lot of mainstream significance that people are going to look back finally on kane (laughs) think about this for a second no mercy he's in this big world championship feud even though it was atrociously booked he's in the main event survivor series and then the next month at armageddon he's putting over batista just before batista joined evolution so he went from atrocious feud to main eventing survivor series to then having to put over a new guy well, newer ish. I know Batista had been on the main roster for months because, like, those stuff with Devon, but he's still one of the up and comers. And then Steiner, he never recovered. Like, he didn't even have a match at WrestleMania and he was doing the stuff with Test. It, it, it was just horrible. Now we're going to really dig into the shit pile. Booker T. In the build to WrestleMania 19. So, Booker T won a royal battle royale on Raw, last eliminating The Rock. Got the World Heavyweight title shot at WrestleMania 19. And this was the one where the segments got controversial. Because I don't I don't care what Bruce Prichard tries to say to cover this up. This was clearly a racially motivated story, like, through all this. Nothing about Booker T's time is criminal, like, his past, or being a WCW guy, because... You listen to the segments and comments that are made by Triple H, like about his Booker T's hair and throwing a, demeaning him by throwing a dollar at him, telling him to get a towel, and I think Ric Flair said something about being a chauffeur or something like that. It's like, what do those have to do with being a former WCW guy or his criminal past that's more racially motivated, like looking down on him, and it's, like I said, especially with the hair comment that started all this, because what does those have to do with his criminal past or the fact that he used to be in WCW? And then, it was just a terrible build. I mean, they had a solid match at WrestleMania, I'll say this, but then the finish just messed everything up. Because then, it was like, Booker T tweaked his knee, pedigree, took over 20 seconds to cover Booker T, and that was still enough to pin him. But yeah, you have matches nowadays where somebody gets hit with a finisher, immediately cover one, two, kick out. But yeah, Booker T couldn't recover in around 20 seconds from taking one finisher? It's... It was just horrible. And... Triple H, like I said, essentially got away with all this, again! Like, I get that you can't always have... The heel get their comeuppance every single time a big feud is about to end or have a pay-review. But there may be some exceptions in there instead of having him just go out on top every single time. You know what I mean? Now, the next one. Kevin Nash, one of Triple H's real-life closest friends. Nash came back after WrestleMania, because he was back from his quad injury and ended up getting attacked by triple h because kevin couldn't decide whether he's friends with Shawn michaels or triple h because we were at still at wars against each other so this turned kevin babyface six-man tag match at backlash triple h pinned kevin ash and then you get three singles matches on pay-per-view judgment day insurrection and bad blood judgment day ends in disqualification i heard people say it's god-awful i i haven't seen the match in a long time and i don't to do so, the only thing you can probably easily remember was the jackknife powerbomb that happened through the announced table post-match. Insurrection, I do remember that being a uh, street fight. All I remember really was Ric Flair with Bloody. And then you had the Hell in a Cell match at uh, Bad Blood, which was like solid at best, but you more probably remember more of Booker T, or sorry, Special Guest Referee Mick Foley taking a share shot to the head, where... He got hit in the left side of the head, and was somehow bleeding on the right side of the head. He could catch him bleeding the whole time. So yeah, this... Like, Kevin Nash's run return in WWE for the Year and a half, two years, just was not good. I mean, the matches were mostly forgettable. I get you're putting over your friend, but... Nothing was really done to really help either guy during all this. Now the next one, Goldberg. Oh, yes. So, initially, as I mentioned during one of the four parts of the WWE m- matches affected by card subject to change specials, there was supposed to be a one-on-one match between Goldberg and Triple H, but then it became the Elimination Chamber match of Triple H defending his World Heavyweight Championship against Goldberg, Randy Orton, Chris Jericho, Kevin Nash, and Shawn Michaels. And Triple H was going in with a groin, torn groin, and was having to wear those bicycle shorts. And because apparently Goldberg had a bad attitude backstage, they didn't want him winning the championship, so... They had an atrocious finish there for SummerSlam. Goldberg had been steamrolling through everybody else in the match. Which was perfectly reasonable to do because Goldberg, dominated in WCW, believable as being dominant in real life. But then Goldberg goes for the severe Triple H sidesteps and his only move of offense in the whole match was a sledgehammer shot to the back of Goldberg's head. Oh, that's enough to beat him. And then post-match, they handcuff him to the Elimination Chamber, blade him, and beat him to a bloody pulp. Well, Rick bladed him, but still, you know what I mean. So this really took this wind out of the sails for Goldberg. They had the rematch at Unforgiven, where Triple H could lose a championship outside of pinfall and disqualification or and submission to Goldberg, where if Goldberg lost, he had to retire. And Goldberg got his win back, but again, it felt like the momentum was not really there at that point. Then Goldberg, you would have the whole injury angle, saying that his ankle shattered because of a bounty that was put on his body that Batista claimed upon returning from injury. You had the match in Survivor Series, Goldberg retained, and the match sucked, and then you had the three-way of Goldberg defending the championship against both Kane and Triple H, with Kane getting the shot just because he helped bury The Undertaker alive in Survivor Series to help Vince McMahon, and Triple H regained the championship after low-blowing Goldberg, Kane choke-slamming Goldberg there, Evolution getting rid of Kane, and then Triple H gained the pin to get his gold back and this was a whole infamous night where all the members of Evolution were champions. Uh, yeah. So that did not this did not help Goldberg really at, at the end of the day. Yeah, you got some wins over Triple H, but you also got to remember it was an injured Triple H. Bicycle shorts, torn groin. <coughs> now, you also get to the Royal Rumble. And well, uh, let me get back to this one quick second as well. Booker T almost forgot to mention it took him till 2006 to really get back to fully being elevated and being the main event because he had to be King Booker. Kevin Nash, he would leave WWE in 2004 to go to TNA. Didn't do much of significance outside of some appearances and a feud that should have had a conclusion against CM Punk but didn't. And then Goldberg, yeah, he redeemed himself when he came back with some matches 2016 onward but not all of them. But then by the end of 2003, he reignited his feud with Shawn Michaels. They had an incredible match at the end of 2003 on Raw, and then you had the last man standing match, which ended in a double, or a draw when both men were down. After both men were just bloody, bruised up, Shawn Michaels hit a last-ditch effort sweet chin music and couldn't get back up in time, so Triple H retained the fans were not happy. Well, that same night as well, da Era 404, aka Chris Benoit, Wins the Royal Rumble and decides, hey, I want my shot at the World Heavyweight Championship by jumping ship over to Raw. It was initially one-on-one, but then Shawn Michaels got added because, hey, the feud's not over. So we got the three-way at WrestleMania. And Benoit got the win by getting Triple H to tap out to the Crippler Crossface. So somebody got put over. Wow. In a bloody and incredible triple threat match. Then you get the rematch at Backlash. was also awesome. Just not almost like amazing as what we saw at WrestleMania, but still ama- awesome enough. So, Benoit, and this time he got Chris, uh, got Shawn Michaels to tap out to the Sharpshire, of course, up there in Canada. Not in Montreal, I believe they were in Toronto? Or no, sorry, Edmonton. But I mean, still, Benoit, back-to-back type, like a win in title defense. And then, Triple H would finish his feud against Shawn Michaels Bad Blood, Hell in a Cell, I personally feel it's underrated, yeah, it was a very lengthy match, but I mean, it finished the feud properly, and the story was great, I liked it. Then Triple H got his rematch for the World Heavyweight Championship at Vengeance, but he lost Benoit again. Then you get to the next ca- next casualty, Eugene, oh boy. So yes, I know Eugene is a controversial subject, I think I may have an episode coming up at someday where I talk about his WWE run, I can't remember. But you get to this whole thing with Eugene, who is a played by Nick Dinsmore as being somebody with a disability. They never specified what was going on, but Eugene they just described as special. And in the even in the build of Vengeance, they try to manipulate Eugene into helping Triple H become world heavyweight champion, saying, "Oh Benoit, he's not your friend. I'm your friend. Like Eugene, come join Evolution." Well, it didn't work. Eventually, Eugene somehow smartened up and was. Somehow no longer being gullible to everything that was being said and done to him. So you had the whole feud going into Summerslam. And Triple H also was going after William Regal, who was Eugene's manager slash friend. So, yeah, those were some uncomfortable segments, were they? And Triple H cut Eugene's momentum by beating him at Summerslam. I mean, like I said, Eugene was still very, very popular with the fans and everything, even though he had only been around for a few months. But And they had some other matches. I know Eugene, I think he got like a no disqualification match victory over Triple H on Raw. But then you had the steel Cage match after this. So it didn't help Eugene at all. Yeah, Eugene would become tag champions for a little while with William Regal after this. But let's face it, Eugene's career was never the same. Now this next one, Randy Orton. All because of these botched bookings. So right after SummerSlam, Orton gets kicked out of Evolution... Because Triple H wanted his World Heavyweight Championship. So, you get to the match that Unforgiven. Randy Warren's first pay-per-view title defense, and he loses the championship right to Triple H. And yeah, they turned Randy face, it was like, cool, he's going out against Triple H and everything, and getting revenge for Evolution kicking him out, but they didn't do Randy any favors with his character and with the booking and all this stuff. Because then after this, Triple H would retain the World Heavyweight Championship against a legit injured Shawn Michaels at Habu Tuesday. Team Orton would defeat Triple H's team at Survivor Series with the whole stipulation saying that whichever team wins, each member of that team gets an entire week where they run raw while Eric Bischoff is taking a month off. Then you get one iffy issue here after this. By late December, they vacate the World Heavyweight Championship because it was Triple H defending the World Heavyweight Championship in a triple threat against Edge and Chris Benoit and the match ended in a draw where Benoit was pinned at the same time he was getting Edge to tap out to the Crippler Crossface. So because of that, the title was vacated and put on the line at New Year's Revolution in an Elimination Chamber match. Special guest referee being Shawn Michaels, and the participants being Triple H, Batista, Randy Orton, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, and Edge. And this was also where they started to tease the dissension with the rest of Evolution, especially Batista. Triple H would win... After last elimin- eliminating Randy Orton. And they ho- brought up the whole thing saying, Hey, Batista, Triple H could have saved you, but he didn't. And then he also retained the championship at the Royal Rumble in the next pay-per-view, going against Randy Orton one-on-one. Fun fact about that. They actually did that spot where Triple H blocked the RKO and dumped Randy Orton on the top rope. Same move they would do later on at One Night Stand in 2008. That would break Randy Orton's collarbone, unfortunately. So it shows that even if something is done more than once... Something can go wrong, so yeah, they did not do Randy any favors during all this with this feud against Triple H He wouldn't even become world champion until No Mercy 2007 And that was just because the championship had to be handed to him because Cena got injured So it took Randy a little while to recover. Yeah, he had some Like an awesome feud going against the Undertaker after this and the stuff with Ray RKO was really good But it took him a while to rebuild and then you get to the end of the reign of terror the feud that put it into it all batista so like i said you had the whole tease starting around again at new year's revolution and eventually i'll bring up this whole feud like with batista and triple h in depth but then batista would win the royal rumble match and evolution the remaining members being triple h and rick flair outside of batista would try to make batista think that jbl was trying to take him out so that he would choose jbl as his opponent for wrestlemania what Batista overheard the conversation backstage about this whole thing and decided he's gonna go after Triple H instead turn babyface powerbomb Triple H to the table when he decided hey I'm going after your belt bitch you had the match for WrestleMania Batista beats Triple H to become world heavyweight champion in the main event retains at Backlash and then retains as well at Hell in a Cell at Vengeance after this Triple H would disappear for a few months I believe he was recovering from some nagging injuries But this was like the only instance truly where somebody got over on Triple H. Like, he won three matches in a row. Triple H would not get a one-on-one victory against Batista until they had their match at WrestleMania 35, like 14 years later. Holy cow. He really went out of his way to make Batista look like a star during this whole feud. And winning three pay-per-view matches in a row? That's a great way you doing it, and especially at the end with Hell in a Cell, a match that Triple H had not lost in a one-on-one Hell in a Cell encounter to before. So that's also another big way to get Batista over as a big star. But yeah, this was a rough three-year period, because like I said, so many feuds just did not do a lot of these men favors. Like I said, RVD, it took him years to recover from all this. Kane, holy cow, they retconned his past, and it was just a brutal burial of a feud. You go, Scott Steiner, he was never the same in WWE. It took him until he went to TNA to have any career renaissance of sorts. Uh, Shawn Michaels, he was fine, like best friends, and they would. And Shawn never really needed to be world champion again after this. It was fine being world heavyweight champion at the end of 2002, just because it was his comeback story. Kevin Nash, again, also best friends, but it didn't do either men really any favors for the feud. Goldberg mess up his run really because like with the momentum and everything after SummerSlam and the awful matches and everything. Benoit, I think he was all right. I mean, he like Triple H can never beat him one on one, whether it be in an Iron Man match on Raw. Like I said, the Eugene got involved with Vengeance, the two Triple Threats. So like Benoit was fine, even though he was still looked at as an afterthought in his reign as World Heavyweight Champion. Eugene, yeah, mess up his momentum. Randy just pff, killed his babyface run and everything like that. It took him two years to recover. Batista was the rare instance of somebody who was just like really got over because he made sure his friend got over at the end and made a new star there. But yeah, a lot of questionable matches and disputes that did not really do much of anybody any favors. It's all about the game. Uh, just a rough period, so... Let me know in the comment section below, what did you all think about Triple H's reign of terror period Reign of terror period that we had for these three years? What were some of your favorite moments, and what moments do you really, really look back on with a, any level of despising of sorts? So, let me know in the comment section below. If you enjoyed today's episode, folks, please remember to leave a like, subscribe with the bell turn on if you're listening to this on YouTube, or follow if you're listening to this podcast on any other service that this podcast is available on. And I'll catch you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe. Peace out, and good day, everybody.